We remain standing to honor the gospel of Jesus, which comes to us from the 8th chapter of Mark this morning. Jesus speaking to his disciples and the others. Then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples. And he said to them, If any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me. And of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We invite our children to be dismissed for this time of worship. May I suggest they go up the aisles and to the back and down the side. Let's bow together and pray. We pray, O oh God, that scripture and community and silence and prayers might all come together in such a way that a word is heard by us each individually and by us as a faith community that we might be more fully your people in this time and this place. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, our church was called into a business session in order to vote on a recommendation by an ordination council that Anna Holiday be ordained to the ministry of the gospel. It was a joyous time for our congregation. Anna got two rounds of applause. I've never gotten one, but hey, I know. <laughs> I was honored to be part of that ordination council, to hear Anna's faith, her theology, her views on church, and her sense of calling in her life. But I posed a question to Anna that is a question that has uh, intrigued me for some time in my own life, and it is this. And how have you suffered for your faith? How have you suffered for your faith? I've got to give Anna some props because she did not say, well, Pastor Joe, I've been sitting under your sermons all these years. I've suffered plenty for my faith. But she was kind of stuck. She didn't know what to say. Because in some ways, she's not suffered, really. She, like me, lives in a kind of bubble. People affirm us as ministers. People delight in 
people being called into ministry. We're not criticized. We don't suffer. So how should we hear today's text? Today's reading from Jesus about denying self and taking up a cross and following him. Do we hear it with a twinge of guilt? Do we hear it and presume that we're soft or lazy? What does it mean to take up your cross and follow Jesus? There are some who take this text literally, quite literally. In the Philippines, there are people every Good Friday who literally nailed themselves or are nailed to a cross. One man's been doing it every year since 1990. He takes, they take stainless steel nails and nail him to a cross and hang him. There was a 15-year-old boy last year, an 18-year-old girl. Every Good Friday, they hang themselves on a cross. Is this what Jesus means? To take up your cross? Here in our country, there was a man named Arthur Blessed who fashioned a 12-foot by 6-foot cross made out of 4 by 4s and carried this cross some 41,000 miles in every nation on earth. Is this what it means to take up your cross? Others are less literal, but they presume that the cross is some kind of inconvenience, some kind of discomfort. And so seeing none in their world, they try to create their own form of taking up cross. I've told the story before about working in the 1970s in the Ford LTD plant here in Louisville, Kentucky, while a seminary student. It was noisy, it was dusty, it was loud. So during break time, we would go into this room. There's a little bit of peace and quiet, except there was a man who would come in every day during the break hour And stand on a chair and begin to preach in a very loud voice about Jesus to all the people. And the people would tell him to shut up, sit down. We just want some peace and quiet. And for him, this was his form of taking up a cross. Is that what Jesus wants? Others refuse to do certain things, to listen to pop music or dance because Christians don't do that. And it's my form of taking up the cross or doing something unpopular. Not out of love, not out of a sense of call, but rather out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of obligation or guilt, because someone told you to, or someone even suggested that it's required of you. As if, in order to join this club, you must be hazed. You must go through this taking up your cross to really prove that you mean it. Or as if buying one's way into this club could be done through painful submission. Is this what Jesus wants? Still others equate taking up a cross with any kind of comfort or irritation in one's life. Well, this is just my cross to bear. You've heard that? My cross to bear? Reminds me of the old church joke about the visually impaired bearer named Gladly that we used to sing about. There was a hymn called Gladly the Cross-Eyed Bear. Thank you. See, this is the problem with church. We don't have any good jokes. But what if taking up one's cross is not about being heroic? It's not about artificially importing some inconvenience or discomfort into one's life. 
It's nothing synthetic, but rather it is that place in the world, in your life, which stabs your heart, which pierces your palms, which calls you to willingly and gladly forego something for someone else in order to bear love into the world. It calls you to speak to an injustice or to bring forth a truth or to embrace one who needs to experience love. The cross is not something you pull out of thin air. It's not just some religious act. It's a life act. It's a choice that connects to you and to your passions and to your heartaches, that place in the world that makes you want to cry and causes you in your heart to suffer. It doesn't always look religious. I have a friend, retired now. You don't know her. She doesn't come to church. She's kind of a partier. She's kind of a slacker, except... Except, this friend has a friend who experienced a great physical tragedy. Her arm has been shattered by some act of, 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 of uh, injustice and insensitivity. And for some reason, this friend cannot get any relief, any physical relief, any financial relief. This friend now has lost home, has lost job, and... There's no one to take up the cause. But my friend has felt her heart stabbed by this. She's felt called to to bear this, to come alongside, to love even unto the point of her, to get up out of retirement and to do something, to do something in the name of love. She wouldn't attribute it to Jesus. She wouldn't say that she's taking up her cross. But she is. Just because it doesn't have the label on it doesn't mean it's not exactly that. Taking up one's cross and following in this way. The cross is when you care and live and love in a way that costs you and you endure it. You endure it willingly and even joyfully. You're willing to allow your life, your body, your time, your money, your reputation to be this conduit of love in the world. It's what you're called to do. Frederick Buechner says our vocation is when our greatest passion meets up with the world's greatest need. When our greatest passion meets up with the world's greatest need. And I think that's a good definition of what it means to take up your cross. When your passion and this need meet up and you enter into it, you endure it. Deep down, it seems to me, this is where all people find their deepest purpose in life. I think it's why we were born into this world. William Blake says we were put on this earth a little space that we might bear the beams of love. It's what I hear everywhere I go. Whether I'm in a a corporate um, meeting room 
with people who are working hard but feeling like what they're doing really doesn't make that much of a difference. They talk about someday when I retire, I am going to enter into this work of love. Whether I'm in the corporate room or whether I'm in the jail, I'm talking to people who have done heinous things but dream someday of being released and of getting out into the world and making a difference in the world. It's what they want to do. Some of you will remember a man named Kelly that we sort of adopted after he was arrested for being part of what uh, the, the police considered a hate crime. The more we got to know Kelly, behind all the piercings and tattoos, was another person who aspired someday to become a teacher, to help kids like he had been in his childhood, who had gone from foster home to group home, and he wanted to be part of the work of love in this world. Not many of us made it out of high school without having to read The Catcher in the Rye, J.D. Salinger's great book. You remember Holden Caulfield, the narrator of the book, who in Miss interpreting or misremembering a line from a Robert Burns poem, said, someday I want to be the catcher in the rye. That person who stands on the edge of a cliff and keeps little kids from falling off the cliff. It's what we're all aspiring to do with our lives. And what's true for us is true for Jesus. Last week, our Friday church uh, prayer request list came out. Each Friday in in Friday church, we pass a list among the the people who are here, and in addition to sort of signing in, they put a prayer request. Mostly they're about their children or their parents, about their health. Many of them uh, write about their uh, sobriety and praying for them to to remain on on the path. But last Friday, there was an interesting prayer request. It said, I pray that Jesus had days where he was happy. Really? The person went on, we don't have any stories, but if anyone deserves a time of just being happy and laughing and loving friends and family, it was Jesus. I I thought that was wonderful. I appreciated the sentiment. But it reveals how we see this Christian walk as if it is completely miserable. Oh, I've got to bear my cross. I've told the story before about being at a kid's camp where the kids were invited to do little skits based on Bible stories. One little group was given uh, the Bible passage about Jesus and the temptations. Not the singing group, but the the temptations. (laughs) The person playing the devil said to the person playing Jesus, or to the, the other person, well... Do you want to party your whole life or do you want to be a Christian? And the response was, I guess I'll be a Christian. I don't want to ignore or downplay in any way the profound emotional and psychological and physical pain of Jesus upon the cross. I don't want to denigrate that in any way. But the cross was not some transaction to beat the devil or to appease a sadistic God. It's not some kind of mechanical atonement. It is Jesus' passion 
for the world. Where his passion meets the world's need. It's his calling. It's his life. It's who he is. That's why when Simon Peter came along and tried to rebuke him, to dissuade him from the cross, Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're focused on things of this earth, not things of heaven. Yes, Jesus did say, Let this cup pass from me as he got near to the cross. But I don't think Jesus dreaded the cross the same way we might dread a colonoscopy or some kind of major surgery. But rather, in full union with the pain of the world and the love of God, Jesus endures the cross gladly, I think, in order to show the depth and breadth and height of the love of God for this whole world. How do we get there? How do we legitimately take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow in this way of Jesus? I think it begins by awakening to the divine love that is always ours from the moment that we were born. It's not something we earn or deserve. It is always and first and only a gift. What is it we say in this room when we do a baby dedication? Before we loved God, what? God loved us. Before we loved God, God loved us. We say it to this little baby, but really we're saying it to ourselves to remind ourselves again and again and again that it all originates and is born out of the fundamental love of God for this world. Only then, only then, Once we've gotten this love in our hearts and our minds, only then are we freed, are we liberated to take up our cross gladly, willingly, proactively, in order to follow in this way of Christ. Our ability, our ability to carry the cross, to take up the cross, is in direct proportion to how fully awakened we are to the love of God in our lives. Can I say that again? Our ability to take up the cross is in direct proportion to how awakened we are to the love of God in our lives. Without the experience of the love of God, taking up the cross is nothing more than masochism. But with this love, with this orientation to who we are, taking up the cross becomes our calling, our way, our truth, our life. I don't know what your calling is. I don't know what your cross is. No one can tell you what your particular cross is. But if you'll open your eyes... And open your heart. Every day a cross will appear. And you will be invited. You will be invited. To bear this love into the world. Richard Rohr says love and suffering are finally the same. Because those who love deeply commit themselves to eventual suffering. Just as Jesus did. But it fits. It's who you are. It's who Dirk Willem was. 
this 16th century pacifist, this Anabaptist, was arrested by the state and religious leaders because they thought his ideas were too radical. They put him in this castle that had been turned into a prison, and in the winter of 1569, he nearly starved to death. Until in desperation, he made a rope out of knotted rags and tried to escape from that castle by shimmying down the side of the wall and onto the frozen moat below. He made it. He made it down. He made it across the frozen moat. But just as he hit the land, he heard a guard call out and begin to chase across that moat. And the next thing he heard was the crash of the ice and the cry of the guard as he sunk into the water, the frozen waters below. Dirk Willem could have escaped easily. But instead he turned and crawled across that ice and reached out his hand and pulled that guard from the frozen water below. I'd love to tell you there's a happy ending to this story. But when the guard reached the land, he re-arrested Dirk Willem, put him back in prison where he was later burned at the stake. The reason I tell that story today is this. I deeply believe that it never occurred to Dirk Willem to go, oh, you idiot, why did you go back and rescue the guard? Why, you could have gotten away. That would never have occurred to Dirk Willem because doing what he did was who he was. He followed this one who endured the cross for the world and who says to disciples, then And now, take up your cross. Follow me. It's the way. The only way. Let's pray together. In the comfort of this room, it is more than easy to speak and hear a sermon on cross-bearing. But we are getting ready to end this service and begin again the worship that is our very lives. And so this day, O God, may we, as we sing, as we gather offering, as we complete this service, make our own decisions individually and as this faith community to bear your love in this world as we follow the one who gave his life for us, Christ our Lord. Amen.